Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you find a career you love, start a business, and generally crush it at life. I'm Justin Gordon, your host and an MBA student in the class of 2020 in the USC Marshall School of Business. Had my hand in entrepreneurship and business since 2012 when I launched Just Go Fitness and now with Just Go Grind. In this episode, I have Laura Killick, who is a PhD in archaeology, and she transitioned from that to a career in marketing and now as a coach, working with women all across the country and possibly around the world. She is a rock star, has changed careers because she really continues to ask herself those questions of like, am I happy? And in this episode, we go through a lot of different things, going through her whole career journey, including as I mentioned, getting the PhD, falling in love with archaeology, working at a company where she actually was in a meeting with Sony and Warner Brothers for the launch of Pottermore. Very interesting. We go through many, 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 many things in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. Support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And in iTunes, leave a rating and review and subscribe to the show to find more episodes. Without further ado, here is Laura. Laura, welcome to the show. Hi. Glad you can make it here. Glad we can finally make this this time work, even after a, a crazy night, as you had just mentioned to me. <laughs> but I'm glad we could do it. Yeah, I'm glad too. And we were introduced through Christina Calabrese, and that was through the Dreamers and Doers group. I'm curious about your experience personally with that group and how you got started with it. So it was just, I got started because uh, somebody at a networking event just randomly mentioned it to me. And it has such a such a catchy name that I actually remembered it for once. And um, <laughs> as somebody who was very new to the States, very new to New York, I loved the idea and signed up. And it's uh, actually so much better than than this girl told me. It's such a, a rare thing to find sort of a virtual group of women who are doing all these different amazing things and they're all so, so supportive of each other. So it's a, it's a brilliant place. Highly recommend it. That's great. And I've heard yeah, from other guests how, you know, how collaborative it is and how you know, beneficial it is for everyone involved and everyone seems to understand that like the giving aspect of it and helping each other out. So it sounds like a great group it's, to be in. It's amazing. I, I'm sorry you can't join. <laughs> I'm uh, infiltrating yeah. it through the different members I interview on the podcast. So it's okay. I still get my, my taste of it. <laughs> you mentioned being in the States only a little while. How long have you been in the United two States? Two years. Just over two years. And where are you from originally? So I am from the northeast of England, right under right under the Scottish border, really. So I'm a country girl. Okay. Are there any major changes between the two places you stand out right away? I'm just curious from that perspective. Uh, I mean, New York is a lot, lot busier. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And the weather is much nicer over here. It's not gray and drizzly all the time. It's beneficial. <laughs> Going through the research for this podcast, for your episode, even like in the intro email you had sent me, there's a lot of different things you've done in your career path. Very varied, different positions and everything. I want to start with college. Yes. When you were in college, in undergrad, what were you thinking you wanted to do with your career? 
So I, I was always a kid that had a lot of different things that I thought I might want to do. And I settled on going to college and doing archaeology. And while I was there, I, I just fell in love with it. Like, I love trying to piece together this big mystery from tiny, tiny little bits of information. And I did very, very ancient archaeology. So really, it was all about, you know, where, where we come from and who we are and why we are the way we are as humans. Um, and I got to mess around with a lot of, you know, dead things and bones and fun. Um, so I kind of, I always knew I was interested in it. I always knew that it was something that probably, you know, in some capacity I was going to do in my life and I ended up doing it for my degree. And then I thought, well, I love that so much. I'll do a, I'll do an MSc, I'll do a master's course. And I love that so much. I thought I'd do a PhD. And at that point, I really thought I was going to be an academic. You know, I was just going to carry on and stay at university forever and ever. And, um, you know, I did some teaching and things, and I really enjoyed that. And and that was the plan. That was the plan. So why, why what drew you – do you know what drew you initially to archaeology? Was that um, I, I grew up in a very – archaeology rich area so it was always around me as a kid I always found it just fascinating um it's something I think if my dad had taken an alternate career path it's probably what he would have done so as a bit of a as a bit of a daddy's girl growing up I think it kind of infiltrated my brain um I think from a very practical point of view I had a lot of people around me who weirdly given that nobody had ever really done anything with it. Who said, you know, it's a, it's a very, it's quite an academic degree. It's not, you know, it's not just playing in muddy holes all the time. And, um, you know, you, you'll get a good background if you want to decide to do anything else. And at 17 years old, when everybody's putting all that pressure on you to decide what you want to do for the rest of your life, <laughs> it seems like a, like a pretty good option. Yeah. And once you're in the, in the learning side of things, was there anything that was particularly beneficial or like the most interesting from the academic perspective I mean in terms of being beneficial it really I did I did the MSc so it was you know we're doing everything from statistics to mass spectrometry to uh you know having to write long form essays so there was just it's like practical field work and writing field reports so it's such a varied degree with so many different things that you have to master that actually coming out of it you can go into almost anything and nothing's going to feel completely new I mean maybe if you're a brain surgeon but in general I mean in general it's it's so varied that it prepares you to pick up whatever and you never kind of get overwhelmed by a hundred different data sources coming at you and having to make sense of it yeah and you mentioned that you got the PhD from in archaeology as well. Like, what was the exact degree name for that? I'm just curious. So my my thesis title um, is a geometric morphometric analysis of early middle Pleistocene microtus remains. Okay. <laughs> I basically spent nearly four years of my life looking at the teeth of tiny rodents. And doing statistics on them. 
<laughs> how did you approach okay let's just from a process perspective from someone who obviously has no idea like what does it even look like as you how do you approach that problem uh you got you really it's it's super simple you spend a lot of time sitting in basements taking photographs of all these samples that you know other people have collected from all around the world and just staring down a microscope at tiny tiny teeth and then really having to learn and, and I had kind of had to learn in isolation because there's very few people that do it this geometric morphometrics which is a bizarre branch of statistics that nobody really uses that is used to kind of statistically describe shape okay um it, I mean it's it's I, I used to share an office with a guy who was trying to uh, in the Natural History Museum in London with a guy who was looking at mammoth, a guy who was looking at saber-toothed cats, uh, and somebody with a friend who used to always be in our office who was trying to solve malaria. And then there was me sitting there with my tiny, tiny, like, three-millimeter rodent teeth. And I felt like <laughs> the least cool kid at that party. Yeah, that's got to be tough. And then you mentioned... After the PhD, what happened from there? So there was a few there was a few things that led to me leaving academia, and uh, one was that I had I had an accident and I and I really hurt my back. And an archaeologist who can't go out into the field and dig is it's not insurmountable, but it's it's pretty problematic. Um, and it was also the recession. And of course, in the middle of a recession, you know, universities are pulling back, they're keeping their belts tight. And the last thing they're funding is archaeology, right? Like, they're going to give it all to the medics and the engineers and and all of that. And I found myself in an area of archaeology, which was very, very small. Like I said, there's like maybe 25 people in the world did it at that point. And everybody hated everybody else. Like, just... There was, you know, it, there was little factions of like four or five people and they hated everybody else. And it was like being at high school, except I never like experienced that at high school. <laughs> and I just, I knew that I loved teaching and I knew that I loved archaeology, but I had to stay in that world with all the people who hated each other and just decided that I didn't really want to want to be part of it. It wasn't who I was and it, I could see that it was going to make me miserable. And it was a really hard thing to leave behind because I'd spent the best part of a decade defining myself as being an archaeologist. Yeah. And what did you actually go into role-wise after? So I kind of panicked and had a lot of people who worked in marketing. So I went straight to what that point was, it was a pretty small startup uh, digital marketing agency um, who who liked me because they were very statistics based um, and and I could do that so <laughs> in, but I actually ended up doing a really a sort of client liaison project management role there okay and in that project management role like you hadn't done this type of thing before exactly I mean you've had through archaeology, you've dealt with kind of projects in a way, I guess. But what was the day-to-day -day like? Is so, that, I mean, that was a really, a really, really 
interesting role because it wasn't really a role that existed in that company. And I think um, all the things I did in marketing, I sort of did one-off roles. They weren't standard marketing roles. Um, but a day, a day there was probably 50% dealing, sort of taking in the reports from all the, all the SEO guys and the paid search guys and sitting there and and translating it to the client and making sure that it made sense for the client. And then the other side of what we were doing was actually just very, very hush-hush at that point was organizing the launch of Pottermore, which was the kind of Harry Potter uh, officially endorsed fan site, which was just a completely different okay. kettle of fish and, and sitting in meetings with, you know, the the head of Sony and Warner Brothers and talking about which spell we should use was a really surreal experience. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, tell me more about that. What, what else did you talk about? I mean, it, so it was a go? really, it was a really weird, really interesting project because nobody had ever done it. Like, again, we, you know, we, we really couldn't talk about it with anybody. I and mean, we were trying to do this really stealthy launch. I think, I, I can't remember now, but I think it was over about three days where owls would start popping up in strange bits of the internet. And, and to try and create that buzz and get the fans really excited. And, you know, this was, oh, 10 years ago. So it was really at the height of all the Harry Potter mania. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was it was really interesting. It was I was very lucky that my manager um, pulled me along on that because, because I was the most junior person in the office at that point, I think. Um, and, it, yeah, it was just, it was just a really, really surreal experience. Wow. And what at that at that company, uh, what did you learn the most from um, being in that position? I I think I learned I learned actually a lot of office politics and how to try to navigate them. And I learned a you know, a, a solid basic understanding of um, digital media and, and how it worked and what it was. And I think the thing that I came out with was I never want to be a digital account manager or a, or a buyer like that just held no interest for me and the reason that I one of the reasons I left that company was because they were trying to because because all these weird projects that I've been doing kind of closed down and didn't have any more so they were trying to push me into that role that I just knew I didn't want to do what aspects of that made it a thrift made it something that you didn't want to do exactly so like for someone interested in maybe that type of role what what for you was the reasons the oh, reasons that I am, you just didn't like for it? all that I'm a for all that I'm a, a research scientist like sitting there and going into into AdWords day after day and refining you know refining ad copy um, and really really getting into the nitty gritty of of sort of the back end of how that stuff works um, just it's just not me I'm I'm a very much a a people person and that's very much and I, and I enjoy data and I you know I'll play around with Excel for fun but I didn't want that to be the, the sole focus of, of my day and what I was doing and kind of refining the same task over and over again a hundred times and, and trying to make it a bit better it just it just I can't get excited about it and if I can't get excited about it I shouldn't be doing it yeah that seems like that would be tough and I did run some some ads in like the last company I was I was working for, but it wasn't like I was account manager where you're literally 
working on you know with different companies or whatever maybe just refining their strategies as you mentioned over and over again adwords like that could be a bit much i think yeah yeah so i mean some people love it some people absolutely love it but i, I was never going to be one of those people ever yeah and then well how did you trans- transition from that first role then to being like okay I'm, I'm not liking this exactly i want to move to something else what did you do then so i um i talked to some really good recruiters i had some friends put me in touch with some really really good recruiters and i just kind of and i i think i did something that a lot of people don't do and i went out and i said look these are the skill sets i have and these are the kind of things i want to do and i know those kind of jobs don't really exist but what have you got <laughs> and it's just looked at me and said well nothing and the really good ones said let us let's go and figure it out let's go and find out um and so i ended up in another sort of one-off two-off two-off role it was two of us um which was business development and building a sort of a new product line for a paid search team okay so what I gotta go back to the recruiter thing because I think a lot of people yeah. don't really understand how this works. How did you approach like finding a recruiter, and then how long was that process working with a recruiter so, or different recruiters? Yeah, so I I just asked around. I said, "Who who knows somebody?" Really, I just hated sort of slimy, you know, car salesman type recruiters. Um, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Anybody who's dealt with them will know what yeah. I mean. Um, and a couple of you know. We were lucky that there were living in London, as you know, no shortage of recruiters, and and people just knew a couple of really good ones, and so I just, I, I think I would have called them, um, and just kind of said, hey, I've I've got this weird request. Request, can you um, have you got anything? Do you know of anybody? And the the really the best one who who sadly doesn't do it anymore, um just was like yeah this is going to be fun all right you're you're a weirdo. I, think, I, think, I think that's literally what he said was like you're a weirdo and let's find you a weird role <laughs> and, um and he did you know he, he went out there and he talked to some people he knew and he and he found me a really sort of odd different role that um that kind of fit what i thought i wanted i wanted to do in marketing how long was that process from like beginning to end? It was pretty quick, actually. I think maybe I, maybe like 10 days. But I think that was... Oh, it was that really quick? Fast, yeah. Oh, wow. I think... Wow, because yeah, you definitely hear things for months or something. <laughs> at a time. Yeah, no, no, this was... I think I, um, I spoke to him. He kind of knew that there was this role that was being built. I think I went in for an interview two days later, and then I started a week after that because wow. I, I was able to get out of my my contract at, at my previous place because they didn't really know what to do with me so <laughs> they're like okay we'll, we'll let you go yeah. <laughs> so the new role it was it a better fit and why um the work was a better fit okay the you know it was interesting we were kind of scrambling around trying to figure it out there was, there was myself and there was a um a law a law graduate just kind of like okay well we've been left by ourselves to try and develop the business for this whole <laughs> this whole department 
um, which was definitely a bit of a, a bit of an oh shit moment. Um, <laughs> but the really the the environment there, the atmosphere. Uh, my manager there were just awful. It was just a really depressing place to work, and everybody was really unhappy. Um, so it the work was depressing, but the the rest of it was just was just miserable. It just it I it was not a fun place to be to start with. Not a fun place to be. No. And then how long, with it not being a fun place to be, I've talked to different people who have been in a role that they didn't exactly love and they stayed with it for months and months and months. Yeah. How long did you stay with that company then since you knew it wasn't the greatest culture necessarily? Yeah, so I stay, I think I stayed with that company for four years, five years. I remember. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in total, but I, I skipped around. I did different things in that company. Um, okay, so you had a variety of yeah, experiences. Yeah, I, I ended up just doing a, a client management role for a, for one of the world's biggest companies and, and doing really, really glamorous things like advertising, sanitary towel, and <laughs> <laughs> diapers, and, um, which, you know, was, was okay. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't, you know, the thing. Right. And so at this point, you, you've had a couple of roles already, you've been academic, had a PhD, and you're still just not exactly figuring out what you really want to do. Is that correct? Yeah. And, it, and I think, it, you know, I come from a family of people who've done the same things their whole lives. You know, my, my granddad, um, the first day out of university, went to work for Procter & Gamble. And the day he retired, he was still working for Procter and Gamble. And my dad, you know, did thirty years at the same company. And so, I think I was, I was trying to, trying to make it work in an environment that really it just wasn't me, and it wasn't letting me be me and be the most me I could be, which is where I was always going to be my best. And so I just moving around and being like, is this better? Is this better? Do I like this? Oh, mm, yeah. You know, and just sort of going again, keep keeping going on these kind of slightly weird roles and not never really finding the fit, the thing that made me think, oh yeah, I want to come in and I want to do this and I want to get really excited about it. You know, during that process, so like, like I said, during these few different roles you've had and a few different mm-hmm. year, few years actually as well, like how are you understanding yourself that you don't love these roles is it like a daily thing you just feel like oh yeah maybe i should move on eventually like what are you thinking during this whole process because i know a lot of people that also don't know what they want to do and i'm curious maybe how you evaluate a role or are you very strategic about that it's just like a feeling i'd like to hear more about i for me it was Every time I, I moved into a new role and I, and I eventually moved into a new company and, and did something I ended up kind of quite liking, but it still was never going to be what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, I think I was chase I was chasing those roles and thinking, oh, this one might be it. This one might be it. You know, it has some things that look good on paper. This one might be the one. And really trying to, to squeeze myself into a thing that was never going to be the right fit, ultimately. Um, and, and it just, it just sort of dragged me down and made me feel miserable. And I, I really never knew what I wanted to do 
after it. I couldn't come up with a good answer. Um, so I just kept doing it and kind of trusted that at some point something would present itself either in marketing or out of marketing that would, that would make sense. And I've, I've never, you know, you see a lot of people talking about having your life's purpose and I, I've never really bought into that and I still don't buy into that because I actually think it's very limiting, right? I think if you decide at 18 or 21, this is your life's purpose, by the time you're 45, you're going to have changed a lot as a person. You're going to have done different things. You know, nobody expects me you to be the same person at 45 years old as you were at 21. But, but if you've right, tied you yourself so, so strongly to like, this is my life's purpose, I don't know that it gives you the room to grow and change and, and follow your curiosity. And it works for some people, but it, it didn't, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to me in the way that I work. And so, yeah, it was really, to go back to your question, after a bit of a, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, was, it was really more of a gut feeling, but also trusting my gut that I'd figure out how to get out of it someday. Right. Someday. So because you did stay in that company a few years, you, yeah. t- you tried different roles to maybe, you know, see if something else jived with you a bit more, you, you would enjoy it more, but you stayed there for a while. And what actually made you take the leap to move on to your next venture then? Cause you, you worked at another, another company well, after that. Another right? company. And right at the end of working for the, for the previous company that we were just talking about, I am, um, I've been doing some volunteering for a suicide hotline. Um, And I sort of, I'd spent a lot of time um, sort of playing around with this idea of of being a therapist, actually. Um, And and for, for whatever reason, just didn't really believe that I could do it. I didn't believe that it, I would be good enough, didn't believe that I could do it. Um, and went to the suicide hotline and was just like, oh, oh, hang on a minute. Maybe this is the thing. This is, I, I, you know. And people, you say to people, you work on a suicide hotline and they just think, oh, that must be, that must be so awful and so depressing. And it had its moments but it was also I've never laughed as much as I laughed being there <laughs> funnily enough really? yeah really yeah I mean part of it part of it was sort of gallows humor and 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 kind of the team all supporting each other and and trying to keep the mood a bit light but actually a lot of the people that phoned in you could you would end up laughing with um yeah so I so I sort of that that became interesting and the funny thing is it just it sat there and sat there and sat there and and I sort of was procrastinating and and just was letting fear of failure fear of not being good enough I don't know what it was not kind of pushed me forward and then at work we did a a, a, the whole team did a sort of Myers-Briggs assessment um and it was very illuminating because of the 125 people who did it, uh, 122 of them were exactly the same type. I mean, almost statistically <laughs> impossible with 16 types, 22 people. 
they had, they had a really crazy. a really solid recruiting <laughs> process. They knew who they wanted. They recruited them. Um, and then there was the three of us who were different. <laughs> and, all, and, and were very different. You know, we were kind of like the opposite end of the scale. And you suddenly think, oh, that's that's why I hate that's why I hate my job. <laughs> because everybody else here works in a completely different way <laughs> to the way that I work. And my my yeah. type in that came up as a therapist. And it sounds really stupid to say, like, a Myers-Briggs changed my life, but it really did somehow just give me that little extra push. It's a tiny little nudge that was like, oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe I actually can do this. It's, like, part of who I am. Um, so how did you use that So I, I just, I think within a week, I'd signed up for a... a a psychotherapy training course. <laughs> Once I made my mind up, wow. I was like, hey, I'm going to do it. And continued working. And I guess this is where we started the story was um, took the next move because it was going to pay me a lot more. Uh, and I was going to be working basically for myself um, within this thing. You know, no, nobody was going to help me. Uh, it was a lot of working everybody I worked with was kind of c-suite in this big multinational company and so they were never there and so I just had to get on and do things and something I found out about myself previously was like I hated being micromanaged hated anybody managing me didn't take to it well I'd be the worst person in the world in the military because I don't like being told what to do (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's difficult to be at a big company (laughs) yeah yeah. Um, so I so I took that role because because it was interesting, because it was gonna be less friction and because they offered me significant pay rise so I could fund this therapy course that I was doing. Very nice. And how did you find that therapy course? Um, I asked around. I asked around and I went to visit. So I started off thinking that I wanted to do it at a university because that was my background, I was very academic, and I ended up doing it in the most loosey-goosey place where they were all about feelings and they were all about like, okay, we've got to do the book work, but let's do the practical work. Like, let's make sure that you are learning how to be a really good therapist. We don't care if you can write an essay on Freud. Like, you kind of need to, but what we care about is can you do this work? Um, right. And I, when I went there, it was kind of last on my list. And it, I was just going because people said it was a really good place. Um, and then within five minutes of walking in the door, I was like, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to be. Like I said, I'm very gut driven. I trust my gut quite a lot. And I was like, okay, this is where I'm going. There you go. It's done. Signed up. <laughs> wow. And this discourse, I'm curious, like how long was it? How, like, What's the time obligation for it? Like, tell me more about. Yeah, that. so it, so it started off um, evenings. It, what I think it was one evening a week for four or five hours, and then a fair few weekends. Um, and it's four years long, and so as you ramp up through the years, you, the time commitment gets greater until you're doing, you know, a day of teaching of you know, being taught and the experimental stuff. Plus, you've got your own clients. Plus, you've got supervision of your clients where you've got, you know, somebody else and you were sitting down and, and talking about a recording of it and what did well and what didn't. Um, so it, it ramps up fairly steadily over those years until it's probably taking up 
at least half of a working week. Oh, wow. That's a big commitment, especially while you're working full time. Yeah. How did you manage that in terms of just in terms of time management, in terms of um, keeping your sanity while you're doing that? (laughs) How was that? I mean, it was great. It's one of the really interesting things about being a therapist is that you have to do the work on yourself in a really, a really deep way. You know, you, you could fail a year and you could be doing great with the clients and you could be doing great in your book work. But if you hadn't done the work on yourself and they could see that you, you know, you weren't getting over all those kind of squirrely weird bits that you had that were going to block you, then you wouldn't pass. You just wouldn't pass the year. Um, and, and many people didn't. So it's a real, you know, you've, you've got the kind of the study and the learning, but then you're also kind of stripping yourself down and deconstructing yourself and diving into all the weird things that your parents did to mess you up. And, you know, why you keep picking terrible boyfriends and all of those kind of things. So it's, it kind of becomes all consuming. And I think it's probably one of the very few things that you can go into where you have to do that. Yeah. Where it forces you to do that yeah. basically. How did that transition into your coaching company? Yeah. So I was two years into the training and had met this guy who I very quickly thought, Oh, maybe he's the guy. <laughs> maybe he's the one. Mm. Um, and he's worked for an American company for 20-something years and was traveling a lot and turned around to them one day and said, hey, guys, just I'm doing all this travel. And I just was kind of wondering if you'd ever consider moving me to New York because this I'm just away all the time. This isn't really working. And then went into work maybe a couple of days later and they said, we've got you a job. Yeah. And not only we've got you a job, but really you need, I think it was two and a half months. I think it was like 10 weeks. If you want this job, you've got to be there in 10 weeks. And so we'd been expecting all of this time to kind of, you know, it was just, it was just putting it out there so that we could talk about it at some point about it being an option at some point in the future. And all of a sudden this big decision came and and smacked us in the face. (laughs) And we had to make a decision real fast. Like, you know, if you want to be working in America in 10 weeks, you've got the visa process to go through. Oh yeah. (laughs) Which is, you know, about as much fun as having your eyeballs torn out. And it didn't come out. So we really had to make this really fast decision. And at this point, I'm like, am I gonna move to a foreign country with this guy who I think is the guy, but I'm not sure if he's the guy. Um, <laughs> you know, can, can we even do it? We're not married, like how's, how's this gonna work? Um, and so we, we, I, we sort of, I sort of said to him, look, you've got to make your decision and I've got to make my decision. Um, and hopefully they're the same decision. Um, oh, you know, we, we kind of both need to know what we're willing to give up, what we're not, how, how it's going to work. And, and we'll, then we'll kind of talk about it. And my take on it was, was this is a big adventure. 
And, you know, at this point I'd never even been to New York. <laughs> I was like, oh, New York, New York like a cool place. Um, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, sounds all right. And, and there's this guy <laughs> and I can carry on doing my therapy training over there. So let's do it. And his response was basically the same. Well, let's do it. So I think... I think eight weeks later, he was here and I, I joined him a few weeks later. And when we got here, it turned out, which was somebody I'd been told by numerous people that this wasn't the case, but it turned out that my therapy training didn't transfer. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, that, that was the real oh shit moment. Um, and so... We didn't know how long we were going to be here for. You know, we knew we had to be here. I think it was three years because that was the deal we'd made with the company. Um, and therapy training is longer than that. So, and I had to kind of think. You know, do I do I want to start committing to doing it in the US? And the way that you have to be trained in in New Jersey and and New York and and anywhere that was kind of reachable um is not the way that I would ever choose to be trained and it's not the modality that I'd ever choose to be trained in so I kind of just thought oh oh ah, what am I gonna do <laughs> and um a, f- a friend of mine who I've been training with in the UK put me in touch with a friend of hers who had moved London to New York as a as a therapist and had become a coach and coaching it's not such a big thing in the UK. And I think we're a bit weirdly snobby about it. Like it's a very West Coast American hippy dippy thing. And I, you know, I grew up in a in an ex coal mining town where it's like you just sort your own stuff out. Like, yeah, you just figure it out yourself. Crafts, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was like, this coaching thing, really? I'm mm. and I went I went and talked to her and I was like, oh okay, this is basically what I do, what I do <laughs> with the therapy, but it, but we're not diving into you know, what your mom did to you when you were five years old that, that has messed you up for the rest of your life. Um, and I s- still was a bit hesitant about it. And I decided to go and do a, like a nine-month training course at that point, I, I I didn't have a work visa, so I couldn't work. So I said, well, I've got to do something with my time because I am not a stay-at-home housewife <laughs> by any stretch of right. imagination. Um, so I went and did the course, and I, and I loved it. And What was this course? Uh, it's, just, it's called um, Coaching for Transformation, and they run okay. uh, sort of various different places across the U.S. Uh, and so you did the course. I did the course. And then what? And then came out and thought, okay, <laughs> all right, I've got, I've, got, I've got to start a business now. And that was a big, that was a big adjustment. I'm not somebody who's ever really had the, you know, there's there's some people who are 18 years old like I want to own my own company and that's all I want to do in life um and it just really wasn't something I'd ever even thought about I mean I guess in some ways where 
I come from and the background I come from, you don't think about starting your own business. You know, it's just, it's just not what people do. You go and work for a company. Um, so yeah, that's. Wait, so how, so you know, at this point you've gone through training, well, you've gone through lab training, both in the UK and then also in the United States, you had you know nine months of this training. You're thinking you're going to start a business. What are the first couple steps you take to even starting this coaching practice of yours? So I just really went out and coached anybody who would let me coach them for, for free, for very little money, um, just to figure out who I wanted to work with. Like who are the pe- who are the people that I'm going to get really, really excited about? Who are the people who I can really help? The best that I can. Um, so went through and did a did a whole bunch of people in different scenarios, doing different things with different problems, um, and really began to narrow that down and to to refine who I like working with and why and why they like working with me and um, kind of the the process and and how that needs look to feel the most natural. And like the most fun to me. So how long did it take you to kind of figure figure out who those clients were, who those ideal clients, I should say, were? How many weeks, months? Like, do you have an idea of when you kind of by knew? six six or seven months in, I had I had an idea, um, and then it, it probably took me really a full year to get there and to be really clear and really solid and actually really confident in putting myself out there as who I am right when I when I first started I put out a a website that looked like a yoga studio website I can't explain it better than that it was all like soft colors and and pictures of mountains and that's not me (laughs) that's just not me (laughs) you know but it but it was kind of what everybody else was doing and I and I needed to get a website up so I just thrown something together um and and now my website is is much more me and it's much more to the point and it's much more you know there's curse words in there and because that's kind of how I am. It reflects who you yeah, are actually. It does and and you know it's not going to appeal to everybody but that's okay that's okay. I that's the point actually. So so working with people in the beginning obviously for free or you work with whoever you can because you're just getting started you know you have to try to develop your skills figure out who you want to work with you need funds I'm sure making money is also part of it um how has that evolved to today So now I I really work with I only work with women um and I work with okay. with very kind of curious women like I'm a very curious person and I found that the clients that I liked working with were also very very curious women and I I work with them with people who really want to they've usually been very successful at whatever they're doing and they're at a point whatever that point is you know it could be a divorce it could be that they decide to leave their career it could be um, that they have just had kids and then kind of that's the point at which they want to reevaluate, whatever it is. And people who really, really want to take a pause, really think about, like really consciously kind of engineer what the next phase of their life is going to look like. 
you know, be, be very, very intentional about what they want and who they are and, and how they want to feel fulfilled and happy and, and enjoy what they do um, in all areas of their life. A lot of what I do is around career stuff because I think that's one of the, the things that people initially feel is worth paying for coaching for, right? <laughs> but, but it's never in isolation. It's never in isolation. It's always like, okay, but, but what else do you want? in your life and not everybody wants to do that not everybody can do that and not everybody is open to doing it and so it's it's really fun because it's it's a niche but it's not super super narrow and I'm not working with the same people with exactly the same problems every day so it keeps keeps me on my toes and I learn a lot yeah you know I definitely want to dive a little bit deeper into the career part of it because like I said many people I've talked to in the MBA program and just friends whoever mm-hmm. are unsure of the path they want to take in their career what they want from a career how would you approach if someone comes to you with that type of issue how do you approach that problem maybe from a high level perspective then drilling down to maybe a few details or strategies you'd work with them on so one of the really interesting things that I've found is that generally, it's not it's not universal truth, but generally people actually do know what they want to do. They know the thing where if money wasn't an object or they believed in themselves enough or that, you know, somehow their circumstances were different. They they kind of know the thing that they want to do. And they might not, they might not know. Exactly. They might not know, like, I want this job at this company and this is what it's going to look like. Um, so quite often it's half the work is getting them to admit to it, right? <laughs> because they'll sit there and say this you know, the, internal monologue will be telling them that it's stupid and it's impossible and why even mention it? And I think they get afraid that speaking it makes it real. Right. If you say it out yeah. loud, it, it becomes a real thing. And then, you, oh, shit, you might have to do something about it. <laughs> right. They need to be ac- accountable to it. Yeah. So and, and that's exactly why they came to me. So they, they kind of in the background know that that's what needs to happen. But so half of the work is that. And then it's really sitting down and figuring out how they're going to do it. How are we going to overcome the fact that you don't believe in yourself? What are you willing to sacrifice to do this? How much does this actually mean to you? Um, How can we be very strategic about how you move and how how you don't go back to being the intern at 50 years old? You know, what's going to actually have? How can we do it? Who do we know? Who can you ask? Who do you know? Um, And then and then you do get the other people who really don't know. And an exercise that I always always take them through is like just just ignore ignore what the job is like ignore the job title is ignore where it is what it is the company it's for which side of you know the business it's in whatever and just just tell me what your non-negotiables are for your next move like what are the things that you need to be happy you know are you like me and you need to not have people telling you what to do do you want to be able to work remotely do you need flexibility uh, who, um, you know, what, what kind of company environment do you want? Do you want somewhere where everybody's going to the pub every night together because it's like a big family or do you want something where you go and you come out? Um, you know, like what's, what's the feeling of that job? What are the things you need? 
that will make you love it and that will also allow you to be yourself it's really important people yeah. people are in this like zone of genius when they're as much themselves as they can be and then usually through that process th- you know ideas and thoughts and things start coming forward and we can we can kind of play with them and evaluate them and, and figure out which one to go for and and with that process like how long does that typically take? I mean, how many sessions is this? Obviously, it's not that easy to figure out your life. <laughs> and, oh, here's an hour. I know exactly what I'm going to do with my life. And, uh, all right, we're done. But I, I'm curious, like, how long can that take or has that taken so before I, with people? I don't work with people that? for less than three months. It okay, just doesn't months, give the time and the space. And the people, people come in who, and they just want to bang it out. It, that's never it's never going to be the way that I work. Um, and there, there are some coaches out there who really can do that. And, and, they, and they will be very, very focused on the career piece. And my approach is a bit more holistic and it's a bit more about, all right, well, let's, let's look at your whole life. You know, let, let's figure out what's going on, what you need, where you want to go. Um, so yeah, three, three to six months, I would say, is, is average for my clients. Um, some of them then want to carry on okay. beyond and, and kind of work on other things, but that's that's a reasonable timeline. Three to six months. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. And and through that, I mean, what does it look like when someone, say, let's say, graduates from that or when they're done coaching? Like, where are they at? They just have a clear, I'm guessing it's just they have a clear idea of what they're going to do next? Or like, what does that look like? Yeah, so they... And it depends, you know, three and six months is kind of different. But the, at the minimum with three months, they, they're going to be really clear on, on what they want. They'll have started making some moves in that direction. So whether that's shadowing or they're, they're reaching out to people they know who work in that area and they're, and they're kind of asking them about it or, um, you know, they, they've realized that they've got a big skill gap and they need to go away and work on it. And so they'll know where they're going and they'll know which steps they're going to take to get there. So, sometimes people just go really fast and we get to the end and they, and they start their new job um, or, or whatever it is that, they, that they're changing. Um, and then, you know, stretching out to six months, some people just take a bit longer to get through that process, right? Some of them just need a little bit longer. Um, but usually towards the end of six months, you know, people, people have, made that move or are doing the thing that will allow them to make that move like that sort of leapfrog in the bit in the middle um and they've got the support through that as well right and from the from the business side of this Mm -hmm. like how are you approaching getting new clients is it a lot of referrals um i'm just curious about that, that as well yeah so i really made the decision which is i think in hindsight a a really crazy decision as somebody who's just moved to a new country and doesn't know anybody um (laughs) that i was gonna do really work on word of mouth and referral um i have and i you know i will have to do at some point but i have no real wish to go back and and put my marketing skills to use by doing paid search ads or uh, you know social media ads um it just doesn't interest me as much and it's you know it's a much faster growth curve 
but it it's my business and I get to do it in a way in the way that makes it fun for me so that was that was a decision I made (laughs) in the business as well how are you managing your time with the different aspects or tasks that you need to do to grow the business to actually grow as a coach all that sort of thing as well like how, from the day-to-day perspective of being in your in your company how do you manage that time so it's it's really hard to give a a a, a, a sort of a, an overview of that because because every day is so different um but i okay. but i try i try to very intentionally time block um, both in terms of what I'm doing, what days. So I only see clients on certain days and then I have off days that are not, they're not off, but I'm doing other things. I'm doing the admin or, you know, I'm really big on, um, having a, having a kind of a scientific background to a lot of what I do. You know, I, I always say, if you want somebody to align your chakras, uh, who you know calls themselves a high a high priestess of whatever? Um, I'm not the coach for you. <laughs> <laughs> so so I spend a lot of time you know reading neuroscience papers and positive psychology and the things that come out of therapy and uh, about plasticity of the brain and and all of these kind of things. So uh, for me personally, if I am like trying to answer emails and have clients, then fit in reading for an hour. That doesn't work. I have to be very strict on kind of these are the tasks that are today's tasks and that's what I'm doing um which really helps me focus on on just that one one sort of area of the business yeah I think I read also that you so you do coaching one-on-one coaching do you also do group things or events I think I read you do events as well like what else do you do with the company so this is a very new thing. It hasn't even actually launched yet, but oh, okay. yeah, <laughs> it's about to. Um, coming coming to the US, not knowing anybody, having this new business, I spent a lot of time going to networking events. And a lot of them were really, really awful. You know, anybody who's, be- anybody who's been to a networking event or more than one network will, will know. You know, you're standing in an overheated room with some warm wine and everybody's trying to sell you something and it's just kind of miserable. I, I just, I, ugh, there's nothing about it that that's fun. So I sort of started thinking, well, there must be a better way to do this. It's gotta be a better way to do this. And at the same time was working with all these women who were kind of discovering new life skills and new ways of doing things. And I'd done all that work and I'm still doing all that work on myself. And and it's really transformational. And I thought, well, can I bring these two things together where we can have like a really powerful, interesting, curious group of women who can come together and they can meet each other and, and talk and, you know, if nothing else, have a community of like-minded women and run some really, really interesting events, which are really kind of the way, the way I always build them is, is that the life lessons that nobody ever taught you. So we've, we're going to have things like verbal self-defense. 
um, attachment theory, like like in the holidays, what why you react the way you do to your family, and and kind of what you can do about it. Um, and so all these kind of really weird things that don't fit anywhere, but they're but they're super interesting and they're super empowering. And this that basically basically it's the events that I would like to go to, and I'm hoping somebody else would like to come to them too. <laughs> <laughs> sideline when are you starting these exactly so they'll be starting towards the end of the year i am uh currently kind of in that horrible place where i've got a lot of people who want to speak and i'm trying to try and sort their schedules out and trying to sort the venues out and and so it's it's that bit where everything's up in the air before it all starts falling falling <laughs> together logistics for yeah. everything um but it'll be it'll be towards the end of 2018 exciting okay it's exciting yeah. always fun to have new things coming out <laughs> and to that point like what else do you see yourself doing in the future with your career with your business I'm curious about that as well yeah so so i the kind of short to medium term goal is to really grow both sides of the business you know um get the Unruly Women's Club up and running and, and all these cool speakers out there and to really continue to grow the coaching side of the business. Um, I never really think further than medium term, you know, experience in my life has shown me that if I think further than, further than medium term, it's, it's never going to happen. So it's a waste of energy. Um, but that's, that's the goal um, that would kind of, on my way to it and then you know working for yourself you always have the luxury of being able to take a step back and reevaluate and, and pivot and change which is such a privilege yeah and how often how often do you take a step back or kind of review where you're at and see maybe a higher level thinking of things or just getting away from the business how often do you do that <laughs> so I'm not as good as at that as I as I can be, but I do actually try to schedule in time. So probably every every six months, I'll sit back and be like, okay, really do. I mean, I, I'm kind of constantly doing it, but really do a review. Really sit there and say, okay, what's worked, what hasn't worked. You know, the question that people get scared of asking themselves, which is, am I happy? Yeah. Am I happy? Is this what I want to be doing? Um, and if the answer is no, then okay. Like, what do I need to do? What do I need to change? Um, I am my business. There's nobody else. If I if I'm miserable, there's something deeply wrong. Right, it's problematic for the business. <laughs> well, that's because you are it's problematic for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> it's the same thing. And and as you're growing the business and as you've gone through your career, have there been any like books, resources, anything that particular that stand out that are have been helpful for you, even as you've grown as a coach, as you just have gone through life? Any resources that would be maybe helpful for others? Oh, I'm just looking at my book now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, if there's any that stand out to you or even a couple you want to mention, we can also always add more in the show notes, justgogrind.com slash podcast. We can link up more of them as well. But yeah, I'm always just curious about what people are reading or listening to or what's helped them because that's a pretty actionable thing that people can, can use to help themselves as well. Uh, so I actually, I always love 
Brene Brown. Okay. Um, I think she has, I mean, I'm, I'm very attracted to her because she does, she's a researcher. She's an academic. <laughs> she, she really goes on there and she, and she does the research, but she has a lot of very interesting, very accessible things to say about who we are, why we don't let ourselves shine um, and what we can do about it. And I think she's she's just a great, great resource because she's done the work and she's very accessible. And if you can get her books on Audible and, and she's reading them, that she's hilarious as well. She's really, really funny. It doesn't come across so much in the books, but if you can listen to her, she's amazing. So she's she's a great one. Uh, I am currently reading a book called Self-Directed Behaviour, uh, Self-Modification for Personal Adjustment, which is a fairly, a fairly in-depth uh, cognitive behavioural therapy book, which I wouldn't recommend reading unless you're really into that kind of thing. <laughs> right. Not a casual read for anyone? No. Uh-uh. Um, I think, I think the most, the other most valuable resources for me have actually been, you know, hiring my own coach, um, working with my own coaches. And I, I would never personally trust a coach who doesn't believe in it enough to put their money where their mouth is. (laughs) Um, right. Yeah, and and it's just having that different perspective and that person who can see the things that you can't see um, is is invaluable. So that, you know, it sounds a bit cheesy when I'm a coach and I'm like, go and hire a coach. But, you know, I'm saying saying it because I do it and it and it really it really does help. And then I think the other the other thing that I found really invaluable is being really open about the struggles. You know, find, finding people who understand, being able to talk to them, being able to to realize that you're not alone, um, that everybody has these things, and and some of them have made it out of the other side, and they've got some great advice, and it's kind of scary. You know, everybody everybody who sets up a business wants to put that that best face forward, and to to tell the best possible story. And it's really scary to get a bit vulnerable and to share. And you're like, you know what? I'm just, I, whoa, <laughs> I'm freaking out over here. And, and this isn't working. And, and, you know, help, help me. Um, but it's it's so, so, so invaluable to be able to do that. Like, you know, more than any book you can read, more than any podcast you can listen to, find find the people who know what it's like and you know there's a rich litvin who's a who's a a mega coach he always says if you're the if you're the smartest person in the room you're in the wrong room and i think that applies like find a room full of people who are smarter than you are and know more about than you do and then learn from them right you know i'm curious with the idea of like having a coach how would someone a like find a coach like how would they actually find a coach and and b would be what should they look for in a coach yeah, so I I get quite ranty about this. Um, <laughs> so what people need to know 
I'm actually writing an article on this. What people need to know is that there is no governing body for coaches. Anybody can call themselves a coach. You do not have to go through any training to call yourself a coach. And there are some great coaches who've never had any formal training. There are also coaches out there who are actively dangerous. Like, I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. There are people who just don't know what they're doing. Um, so first things first, I would always ask about people's credentials. Like, have you trained? And um, all the, oh, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say all the best code courses, but the the kind of gold standard of certification is having gone through a course that's ICF, which is International Coaching Federation, uh, accredited. Okay. It's not to say that somebody not having it would completely, um, you know, would just make them a terrible coach, but you know that they've been held to a certain standard and that they've, you know, they've done the ethics piece and <laughs> all of that kind of thing. So I would say first things first, if somebody hasn't been willing to invest in their own education, why would you be investing in them? They won't invest in themselves. Like, don't do it. It's just, it's just crazy. Um, and then the other bit is it's same as finding a good therapist or a, or a good GP or a good gynecologist, you know, any, anything like that. Um, try a few people out like it'll take a little while and most coaches will either give a free session or they'll have like a like a 20 30 minute conversation with you find the person who you feel a click with and there's you know in in therapy there's a there's a ton of research around um you know irrespective of, of like how long someone's been a therapist uh, which modality they're using, um, who the patient is, the, the single biggest determinant of success is that click and that relationship you're able to build. So go and talk to four, five, six, ten coaches and, and find the one that feels right. You'll know. Um, I think it's, that's a really really important thing and ask people ask people for recommendations ask people who they know who they've worked with um and if all else fails google (laughs) (laughs) always the answer (laughs) thank you for that yeah one of the last questions i'd like to ask people kind of culminates you know all their experiences and what they think is important I'm, i'm curious always as to what you think makes a great career Oh, I think, I think I touched on it earlier. I think it is the ability to be your best self in it, to be able to show the world your, your kind of your own crazy, weird little area of genius, whatever that is. Um, and I also think I have a I have a big thing about you can really, really love something, but it should never be so important that you can't let it go. So I'd say 
never ever get yourself into a situation where that career defines you to the point where you couldn't walk away because that's a really dangerous place to be in any kind of relationship it's a really weird weird thing to say but it's but it's true yeah exactly it is true you have to be able to have that have that ability to walk away to move to something else that could be better different or more that more aligns with you i would say yeah and it's i I see it a lot with clients that come to me and they're like i am i'm a lawyer and that's who i am it's who i always will will be and they hate it and it's making them miserable and it's so hard for them to let go because they've built their whole life and their whole sense of sense of self around the fact they're a lawyer right and it really difficult laura thank you so much for the time today where can people go to learn more about you work with you etc yeah so the best place to find me at the minute is is just on my website which is uh laurakillickcoaching.com i didn't get super original with the name (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and there's links on there to to all the social media stuff and things like that as well but that's, that's okay Great. And we will definitely link that up in the show notes to justgogohand.com slash podcast. And please do check her out. It's been a great episode. Thank you so much for the time, Laura, especially with the uh, the craziness that you just dealt with last night. <laughs> I appreciate it. You're welcome. Anytime. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoyed listening to this and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. Support the show at patreon.com slash justgogrind and leave a rating and review and subscribe over in iTunes. Just search Just Go Grind or click from your device. Have a great day. Talk to you later.